Evening, everybody. Harriet Westmore with the More Wine and Music podcast, the podcast where I discuss different genres of uh, music, American music over a glass of wine. Tonight's episode, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite jazz artists of all time, the great saxophonist, um, John Coltrane. So stay tuned. Once again, welcome. Welcome. Saturday night. I'm sorry I didn't come on uh, last night. I wanted to finish up some of my content before I um, went on live. So I wanted to give myself an extra time to um, talk about one of my favorite uh, jazz artists, um, John Coltrane. Um, Before I get into it, um, I wanted to um, please hit that like, share, and subscribe to the More Wine and Music podcast. Um, Go on www.morewineandmusic.com. Also, um, I'm going to be creating another uh, t-shirt for the jazz uh, for season two. So um, stay tuned for that. And that will be... um, listed on the morewineandmusic.com website. All right, so let's get into it. Coltrane, one of the greatest, famous um, jazz artists, saxophone player of all time, Mr. John Coltrane. I just like the name Coltrane. I don't know why, but uh, I do. John Coltrane... John William Coltrane was born on September 23rd of 1926 in a little small town outside of High Point, North Carolina, which was called Hamlet, North Carolina. His father was named John Robert Coltrane, who was a tailor by trade, but he was also a musician. He loved um, music. He loved instruments. So he would have um, a lot of instruments in um in around the house. His mother, Alice Blair Coltrane, was a homemaker. Um, the family lived in Hamlet, North Carolina until he was till around the age of three. And the act the family actually moved into the city of High Point. High Point, I used to live in North Carolina. I used to live in Charlotte, but I also am familiar with the uh High Point uh Greensboro and um, Winston-Salem area. Uh, and so, I mean, High Point is a fairly mid-sized city. It's not large like Charlotte or even Greensboro, but it, it, it was a, it is a mid-sized um, city. Um, while John and his family doesn't say if he had any siblings or not. So I, I think he was like the only child uh, of them between his parents. Um, 
so his most of his childhood was spent in um, High Point. However, in 1939, by the time he was 12 years old, um, he lost his father and it says several other relatives. So I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know if there was some kind of accident. Um, I couldn't find out exactly what was the source of his father's death, but he died um, in 1939 and that left his mother and him pretty much um, struggling from that point because um, his father was actually the breadwinner of the family. So they piddled around in um, High Point for a while, but then um, his mother, Alice, and some of the relatives decided to move north. So they moved north, uh, I think around in um, Philadelphia. But John stayed in um, North Carolina because he was wanted to finish school. So they allowed him to stay in North Carolina. He stayed probably stayed with other family members while he finished his education. And once he did that, then um, he moved north. Actually, his mother and some of her relatives, they actually moved to New Jersey. But when John um, graduated from high school, he, um, he decided to move to Philadelphia. And so um, his early influence of music, he gravitated to the sound of Count Basie. Count Basie um, was another uh, famous jazz, early jazz artist. And so he um, gravitated to uh, his style of music and he wanted to, that was pretty much the influence of him wanting to play and so he played uh, and wanted to learn more about music. And so he, uh, while in Philadelphia, he went to the school of um, Ornstein School of Music in Philadelphia. And this was around in the early 40s. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to complete his studies of music because duty called. Duty calls, he had to enlist into the service because this was during the time of World War II. So he um, enlisted into the Navy. But while he was in the Navy, he actually uh, got together with some, you know, his fellow sailmates, sailor mates, not sailmates, but, you know, his other fellows that was in the Navy with him. And they um, formed a, quart a quartet. So he was still able to play, you know, music. But, um, you know, again, he had to serve, you know, his serve his country and he was served and he served it. And he uh, was in the in the Navy for about three years. And after he got out, out he was discharged in 1946. He went back to Philadelphia and he continued his study. This time he went to um, what was called the uh, the Granoff School of Music. It was another school. He didn't finish it. Um, his studies at the original Ornstein School of Music. He went to another school. And um, while going to school, he was able to get some, you know, small time gigs um, around the city. And he played with several. Uh, local bands. 
um, with that, he was um, became a part of a band with the leader of um, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent. I have never I've heard of him um, in one of my blues documentaries. Uh, I've heard when I was doing some research in my blues documentaries, I've heard of um, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent, and uh, apparently he was one of uh, he was a famous uh, uh, band leader, a famous musician up, you know, in the St. Louis um, to Philadelphia area. So uh, uh, he was one of those, uh, he was part of the era that brought uh, the blues and the jazz music into more of like the the show tunes, like as we talked about um, beforehand, um, Big Joe Turner, he was part of that uh, era. And I think, matter of fact, he might have played it with um, Big Joe Turner um, back in the day. So Cleanhead Vincent, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent was a part of that era and brought that uh, blues and more in a more sophisticated style. And um, this was the opportunity that uh, John Coltrane was able to gravitate to. Um, he also played with Jimmy Heath in 1949. And in this particular band, he was able to use his creativity. This is how he started to hone his uh, uh, his uh, inability to be himself a- a- as a saxophone player. And actually, Coltrane was a tenor saxophone player. Um, where we talked about um, last week with Charlie Parker, Charlie was an alto sax. So... Um, uh, Coltrane was a tenor sax. After um, playing with John Heath uh, for a little bit, he was able to meet up with um, Grammys, the famous Dizzy Gillespie. And once he got connected with Dizzy Gillespie, this is when he started to become more and more noticeable. John Coltrane, he's one, like I said, he's one of my favorites is because his style of playing is just, it touches you deep. Um, if you listen to, you can go back and YouTube a lot of his music. His style of playing was actually, it, 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 it does, it touches you and you can feel um, the, whatever mood you're in. Um, his playing kind of, you know, it kind of hits you. It, it, I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. If, if you're, you know, as a jazz lover or as a musician, you kind of will understand what I'm, or music lover, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, again, as he um, started playing with uh, Dizzy Gillespie and became more popular, also, uh, became um, other issues, one of which the main issue uh, uh, was drugs. Reading um, about his biography and about about him, he's kind of his story is kind of parallel with um, Charlie Parker. If you can, if you can, you know, recall last week I talked about um, Bird Parker. Both were very great um, 
musicians, both, you know, very, very talented, but they both had a demon of, of drugs. And, you know, not to say uh, they were the only two, a lot of them did, but both of them, they both, their drug habit was, you know, to the point that they had to, um, it, it took over their life pretty much. And Coltrane was basically the same way. Um, his drug of choice, as was um, Bird Parker, was um, heroin. So, and not only that, um, he was also an alcoholic. He drank heavily. You know, not like many people didn't know that part. They knew that he was, you know, a drug user, but they didn't also didn't realize, didn't really, you know, know that he's also an alcoholic. And on top of that, he loved to eat. He was very um, a glutton for food. So um, it, it it those combinations and and being being you know getting famous and getting the fame, uh, getting the recognition that was probably too overwhelming. Uh, it, it it eventually took its toll. I see a, a, an opinion, a, a question. In your opinion, was the music better before or after the alcohol and drugs? That's a good question. That's a good question because some might say, depending on, you know, who you ask, sometimes using certain amount of drugs enhance your creativity. I'm not saying, you know, that would be my personal choice, but um, certain amount of drugs, uh, you're able to, you know, play better or, or increase your um, your creativity in music playing. And, and I think the basic uh, example of that was um, Jimi Hendrix, who I'm going to be talking about in my next season of, of um, music genre is, is the classic of the 60s. So, you know, you could say that, but at the same time, using drugs, it also, in uh, you can't perform your best either because you're, you know, chasing that high. And which would happen, you know, is that you're ending up, um, being uh bad as far as performance it could it could um, ruin your performance and your practices which exactly what happened with uh coltrane i mean he would miss a it he would miss rehearsals he would miss um shows you know and it got so bad to where unfortunately dizzy gillespie had to you know he had to get he was fired he was a great great musician great musician but of course you know when you're you know inhibited by drugs and alcohol you can't be your best so i mean it, it, it <laughs> on one hand a lot of people we say well especially the acid if you take acid it takes you to another um level to where you know you you can go deep and, and really bring out that creativity but on the other hand, you're so spaced out to where you, you just, you know, you're not in tune with everybody else. 
So, and, and personally, I can't see where heroin, you know, the use of heroin or snorting cocaine can um, actually enhance you. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I'm, I'm never, you know, was on drugs or anything like that. So I can't, you know, I can't see that, but I, you know, as far as psychedelic drugs, you know, I've never tried it either. Um, but, you know, there's always been people who talked about how they uh, was able to perform better and be more creative when you're on acid. But like I said, we're getting into the 60s and, and I'll be talking about that uh, uh, later. So again, like I, um, Dizzy had to let uh, John Coltrane go out of his band. I mean, because again, he was, you know, that heroin overtook him, not to mention the the eating, well, not the eating habits, that was bad enough, but that, you know, but it was the heroin and the drinking. It became a, a, an issue. So once he was let go by Dizzy Gillespie's band, um, John Coltrane, he decided to kind of sit back and kind of reflect on what he was doing and try to get himself clean. So he, you know, eventually tried to, he did, he made that effort and he did. And, and in the fifties, um, during the time that he was sober and clean, um, he met up with a, another great uh, horn player and that was Miles Davis. He became, um, Miles Davis um, asked him to become a part of his quartet. And this is where um, John was able to kind of push himself again to um, use his creativity and to be who he wanted to be as far as expressing himself in music. And so he uh, played, actually, he played on um, Miles Davis's um, album, Kind of Blue, and that was in 1959. And, but once again, his old past demon crept up on him and he began to go, he relapsed back into, you know, into using heroin. So again, it became an issue for him to where Miles Davis had to um, get rid of him, which I, I find that kind of ironic because Miles Davis himself had uh, drug issues. I don't think it was, I don't know if it was heroin. I, I forgot because I did read about his autobiography. I don't know if it was heroin. I think his thing was more cocaine and all that. But um but still, you know, it, it was a it was a problem to where, you know, Miles had to, you know, look, I, I can't, you know, you can't do this. Not in my band. And any anybody who knows Miles Davis and knows his history and knows him as a, you know, how he was as an individual. He was a no nonsense um, person. Uh, and I don't think I've ever seen him actually smile. Any of the, you like I said, a lot of the stuff I get off of YouTube and seen his um, uh, interviews or whatever, he was like a, I don't know. I don't know. He always looked like he was mad all the time. I don't think he was. It's just that he just had that 
personality to where he was just uh, hard, hard. He said he was a hard person to get along with. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, but he did recognize talent when he when he saw it. And, you know, like I said, he, he recognized he knew that um, Coltrane was a very talented, you know, man and wanted to help him and wanted to, you know, have him in his you know, group and everything. But again, his uh, drug just, drug use just overtook him. So I think at one point, um, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, and actually Charlie Parker, they actually played together. So, I mean, because, so imagine that combination, that a combination itself is, is uh, you know, you can't help but to, hear great music out of those three because they were one of the greatest uh, players in, in, in the jazz genre, you know, but each of them had their own demons. And so, um, you know, at, at, and it was said after when Miles fired um, John, this was the pivotal, pivotal point of Coltrane's life there where he actually turned himself around to get clean. You know, if, if you're getting kicked out of um, Miles Davis's band, then, and, you know, he decided he had, he, he got to get himself together. He has to. So he eventually kicked that uh, heroin habit. And so after that, he became uh, innovative and this was going into the sixties. So he got himself clean. And so he created his own, um, he reinvented himself and um, created his own, uh, his own band. And he actually became a success. One of the main songs and that everybody knows um, from John Coltrane was the rendition of the Rodgers and Hammerstein um, show tune, My Favorite Things. And listening to him play that, that kind of took him to the top of his playing because everybody was just mesmerized of how he played. Even when he started to play overseas into Europe, um, they, they just loved how he played in, in his, you know, how deep his uh, playing, you know, was. So um, his comeback with the My Favorite Things, these are my favorite things. Um, he made a, a great album called um, Giant Steps. And this was the, uh, the album that he actually wrote all his material. He had all the creative uh, producing. He wrote everything and he played. I mean, everything was, you know, him. Um, there were no outside influences or anything. He was able to, uh, be who he actually wanted to be. And obviously he, he, he's a deep, he was a deep thinker. I mean, you can just listen to his uh, sound of his playing. I mean, he can tell that he was deep. So uh, that, and, and, and in that sixties, that was when uh, his songs, I mean, his, his style of playing really, was innovative 
And I think, you know, when you listen to his stuff now, you know, how it was in the 60s, I mean, it, it really was in tune with what was going on during the 60s. And so, you know, he, he was doing great. He was doing great. Um, unfortunately, he developed liver cancer. Um, and um, he unfortunately, in 1967, which was um, July 17th, he passed away. At the, He was only 40 years old. And during the years, if you see pictures of him, his weight would fluctuate. You know, first, you know, his early years, he was, you know, slim. And as he got older, he started to gain a lot of weight because, again, he had a bad eating. I mean, he he ate a lot. He ate everything. He wasn't, you know, didn't have the best diet and not to mention the drinking and all that. So, um, you know, he developed an unfortunate, I don't know if he smoked or not, but unfortunately he, he developed, a, you know, liver cancer and and that would um, took his life. So that that that's um John Coltrane, uh one of the great American um jazz saxophonists. Um I, I I encourage those who haven't listened to just go back and just listen to his songs. I mean it, it's really deep as um was mentioned deep and personal. And it's like you know if I'm in a like an, in a blah mood or, or you know you or or reflective mood that you just want to kind of get into yourself and try to think and try to uh, figure stuff out, I just put on a Coltrane. Uh, I'll just listen to Coltrane and then that'll kind of like mellow you out and just kind of you just can't sit back and just you know reflect and just think about stuff <laughs> you know what, what could i say he, he just had that effect he just has that effect so all right so that's one of my favorite um artists this was uh is john coltrane so thank you for um tuning in next week is episode number 11 um, we got uh, two more next week is number 11. I think in tune with uh, Charlie Parker and Coltrane, I think I'm going to do Miles Davis. Because Miles Davis, um, when I I did read his bi autobiography, he's, a, he's another one that's uh, um, unusual. His personality wise, he was very unusual. Um, you just couldn't either... He was one of those, either you liked him or you didn't, but you can't, whatever you did, what, however you felt about him, you couldn't deny his contribution of, of his, uh, of music, of his jazz playing. And um, he was able to uh, reinvent himself. And he's one of the long, I mean, cause he, he played up until the early eighties. So he was able to play, um, he kept up with the times as, as far as his playing. So he started from way back in the forties up until the eighties. So he was very, like I said, very innovative and very much uh, a talented uh, trumpet player. So that's what I'm going to talk about next week. All right. So stay tuned. And I appreciate everybody. 
I will I will send a link and, and let you know uh, when um, usually it's either on a Friday or a Saturday. Um, but I'll um, the schedule will be on the Facebook of when um, I, I will go live. So thank you guys so much and um, have the good rest of your evening and into the holidays. All right. Bye.